welcome back to Interjections. Inter keep picking up points, Juve keep dropping points, and we're, we're just we're smooth sailing as we pursue this 20th Scudetto. I'm your host, Andrew. I've got Miko, Sterling, and Jay with me. Miko, what's up? Yeah, doing great. Thanks. Looking forward to discussing yet another win and interesting Champions League encounter. Jay, I'm surprised you're not at the Taylor Swift concert in Sydney tonight. Apparently that shit's like 600 for VIP tickets, and that's not even like the, you know, even near the top tier of uh, tickets or packages available. One of my friends is taking his wife, and he was just complaining about how expensive it is. But, yeah, um, I'm not a Swifty, unfortunately. So here I am. Um, Anyway, looking forward to breaking down the win and the week ahead. And also I can uh, claim victory that I was right all along in saying that Milan are the real threat, not Juventus. Um, <laughs> so let's get into it. I don't know if there are any threats to be quite honest. Sterling, welcome back to the pod. Thanks for stepping up. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me back. And, um, you know, Juventus keeps on dropping points. So I'm a happy guy right now. Um, and, you know, Mika, or excuse me, Jay, just so you know, I'm also not a Swifty. Um, so you're not alone there. Uh, and also now, uh, you know, Kanye West is sampling the Curva Nord in his songs on his new album. So I think we we have to be Team Kanye now. Fair enough. I guess Irfan will have to remain the Taylor Swift contingent of this podcast. I think uh, Ye probably went with the Curva Nord because they were the most racist fan group available um no i'm kidding anyway, he couldn't uh, get with lazio that yeah, day. yeah lazio <laughs> lazio busy. Busy. <laughs> uh, well let, let's talk about salernitana i don't think this is going to be a long conversation the it, it was a smooth victory from the first half we dominated them we could have scored four or five goals in the first 15 minutes of the match so i had to settle for two what what i was more curious was the lineup decisions. Inzaghi decided to go full throttle from the starts, pretty much rolled everyone out minus the wingbacks. So, Jay, how do you feel about the lineup decision from Inzaghi? Are you fine with his approach of kill the game early, then rotates? Or did you want to see him try and take a more cautious approach against an easy opponent? It's hard to say. On one hand, um, I was an advocate for playing all the shitters. Uh, at the same time, the way the game panned out, um, I, I don't want to say they wouldn't have handled it, but I thought Salonitana actually pressed really aggressively. Now, you can question the uh, quality or uh, what's the word, coordination of their pressing, but they started with three kind of mobile forwards, or at least three mobile players uh, pushing up quite high and quite aggressively. And, you know, when obviously when people press you aggressively, everything is exponentially harder. You have to, you have less time on the ball. You have uh, less, you have, you have to hit your passes faster and harder. So it's harder to control them. On top of that, there's obviously less uh, space available. So, Essentially, to pass your way out of a aggressive, hard press, you need to be accurate, fast, control the ball as well. And I was extremely impressed at how we did that. Um, we were so on the ball uh, 
both figurative, figuratively and literally in the first uh, half hour. Um, I think it might have been one of our best performances of the season. And we just look so incredibly competent at doing that. Like, despite how hard they pressed us, like I said, it didn't it didn't really matter. We just hit the balls accurately through the small gaps with uh, with speed, and yet our control was excellent every time. We managed to kind of negate or evade their press relatively easily. Um, and yeah, who knows? Maybe the second string players might have had a little bit more difficulty with it. Uh, so in the end, I guess it's one of those where I have to kind of just hold my hand up and say, I guess the end justifies the means. Um, maybe we could have brought them on a little bit earlier in the second half, considering I think at that point, both teams had kind of, you know, it was one of those where both teams have this unspoken understanding. Yeah, the game's over. You've won. We've lost. Let's just, you know, let's just each take it easy from here on out. So the second half was extremely boring. Um, so maybe Inzaghi could have brought the guys on a little bit earlier, but can't really complain, I guess. Um, I will say that I don't want to you know, nitpick on negative things, but that chance that Barella had in like the fifth or sixth minute, that really annoyed me. Like he's got Taram to his left, completely open. It's like a two versus zero situation. He's got all the time in the world to place a shot and he goes for like this, you know, full power, just smash and obviously ended up hitting it. Well, not that far away from the keeper that the keeper was able to make like a kind of standing parry onto the onto the crossbar. You got to score that. Or you, if you don't score it, you need to make Taram score it. And I think just having um, kind of watched a lot of, Barella's, uh, or kind of thought to myself a lot about Barella and his uh, the way he plays and things um, in recent weeks. I thought that was a bit of a, uh, I don't want to say like a point in my favor, but I felt that's the kind of thing that I always find with him. Like, what are you doing there? It reminded me of the end of that Verona game when he tried to square the ball to Sanchez instead of just slotting it into an empty net. I mean, just don't do that kind of shit. Like, grow up a little bit. Be a little bit more sensible, you know? I expect that from a guy who's apparently renewing for $7.5 million and he's like our vice captain and, you know, Bandiera. He's this generation Stankovic. And yet I find Stankovic to be infinitely more uh, reliable in many ways. So, I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to end on a sour note. And it was a, overall an excellent game. That, that that miss kind of annoyed me more than I thought it would. I just kept thinking about it after the game. Yeah, I mean, it was a horrible miss. He had six different options and chose the wrong one. Exactly, and he could have side-footed. And even that volley against Juventus that was perfectly set up by DeMarco at that range, at that height, just side-footed into the net. You know what I mean? On the volley, instead he goes for the full power wind-up, you know, horizontal kind of slashing kick and it just ends up going straight to the, you know, Chesney's feet anyway. So like, you know what I mean? Just imagine he does that against Atletico or something when we're like, you know, nil nil in the 90th minute or whatever, but you just gotta, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to start a whole, I don't want to create yet another hill to die on. Cause I've got so many, I can't keep track of them, but um, the, uh, you know, I'm I'm slowly eyeing this Barella is not world class uh, hill, and I think you know 
the the Bellinghams, the De Bruyne's, these guys score that shit without, you know, without making a fuss about it instead of Brella doing the opposite, which is to not score it and then make a fuss about it. So, yeah. I'm well, just looking at that goal and he's like, what, three, four meters of, ahead of the defender and Thuram when he, like, gets the ball. And I don't know how he should see Thuram suddenly because, okay, uh, Thuram... He sprinted there to be open, but at the moment when when Barella has the ball, it's on the edge of the box. So I can't fault him for trying to shoot the ball because Turam is not even on the on the circle or the half circle of the box at that point when Barella has the ball in front of him, front of him, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna shoot now." you're not going to look around at that point when you have nothing else but the goalie in front of you. So, I mean, surely okay. they're talking though, right? Uh, you would think that Taram would be vocal and tell him, hey, I'm yeah, over here. I yeah, maybe he was there, but I can't really fault Barella for trying that. I think that it's five minutes in the game and it's already like that kind of a chance. So... <sighs> Why not just try to try to score right from the right from there? It Even if you're going to score, though, is that is that the best shot selection? Is that the best way to score when you're shooting? You know, just kind of like blast it at full power at the, at the goalie's head. You know what I mean? Like he can try to side foot it. He can try to dribble closer. He can, yeah. You know well, what I mean? This is finishing. The, the coldness yeah. in front of goal. Barella was known for a long time for being kind of like a bit shit in front of goal. You know what I mean? Um. And then he kind of scored a decent amount last season and scored a handful of season before, but I still don't think he's particularly great in front of goal. Yeah, the, yeah, I think that the shot was... Um, it kind of bounced right before his shot, so it went a bit too bit too high because of that. And of course, the, the direction was, was straight to the keeper, so that wasn't optimal. But yeah, can't fault him for... Not passing, but yeah, I could have maybe placed it on the on the yeah. corner. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't. I'm not mad at him for taking the shot, but um, just putting the laces through it and absolutely blasting it just gives me like you know uh, 2022 Lautaro vibes. You know, where it's exactly. just like you it's just see red and you just you know hit the go button. Basically, I think that he could have easily slotted it to the right, just passed it into the net. Uh, would have probably been more difficult for the goalkeeper to to get down especially because i think the goalkeeper i think everyone was expecting him to pass the ball to taram i certainly was uh, i think he kind of caught um the goalkeeper off guard but it was so central that he was able to parry it onto the crossbar um and props to the referee for even seeing that by the way i, I you know i thought that was going to be um a goal kick but the referee saw immediately that it was it was tipped there um but yeah you know when, when it comes to barella um he is a world-class midfielder but he is not a world-class goal scoring midfielder that's the you know the vibes that i get from him he does everything extremely well except score goals consistently um you know he's uh, i i i almost want to compare him sometimes to like a, a luka modric but to be fair luka modric scores a decent amount especially when he has a chance that he should take he's he pretty much always takes that but um, no one's going to confuse Nicolo Barella for being like a Frank Lampard type of a guy, or even like, you know, to use a more modern example, a Jude 
Bellingham type of a guy where, you know, every time he arrives in the box, he takes that chance. I mean, honestly, for for Tazy is a better goal scoring midfielder than than Barella is. Um, I'm more confident of him arriving in a box and taking a chance than I am with Barella. It's just that I'm not confident in other parts of Fratesi's game that, you know, with Barella, I think sometimes we, we take for granted because he is such a, a good all-around player. I mean, he puts in the defensive work. He is so good in possession. Um, he can spray a ball. You know, he does have a killer pass at times, and he even has a little bit of creativity and imagination. So, you know, look, he should be getting a renewal. There's no doubt about that. He's a player that we should be holding on to and building around. Um, he's not a perfect player, uh, that, that's for sure. There are parts of his game he needs to work out. But to be honest, I'm way more concerned with the disciplinary side of his game and the fact that he can't seem to go you know, three or four games without getting a yellow card for dissent than I am him missing the odd chance here or there because you know, there's just no perfect player out there. I'm going to argue, just come back to this this chance that he wouldn't do that against Atletico in our next match in that situation, but against Salernitana five minutes in the game, uh, there was the vibe that okay we're gonna win this match no matter what. So I think that that plays a part in his decision making there that he he's just gonna smash it there and see what, what what's gonna happen but if it's atletico it's like let's let's say the game is nil nil i think he he might he might do something differently there yeah i don't doubt that i i do believe that if we were in a um, a higher stakes game that um the, the team probably just approaches it different overall um, you know, that's the one thing I would say um, negatively about this Salonitana game, because it's funny, we won 4-0, but this conversation obviously has been more skewed towards negative. I mean, that's just being a fan, right? But The curse of having um, Jay on the podcast. Yeah, he is curse of is having Jay on the podcast. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we were wasteful um, in the first, you know, 15 minutes of this match. There was several chances. Um, there, was, there was a big chance for Taram as well off of a Bastoni header that we that we missed, um, you know. That's the one thing I will say with this team is that at times we still can be wasteful. Um, and, you know, I don't want that to start to creep in because we've actually been fairly clinical. So I'll give these guys, you know, the benefit of the doubt. Um, as Miko said, this was Sal and Tana. It, we were kind of lax uh, from the from the word go in this match. And really, we never had to get out of second gear. And that was still more than enough. I mean, once the first goal came, the second one came immediately and the game was realistically over at that point. Um, I would say that this match was probably the best argument that I've seen thus far for the 18 team league. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no, there's no way that a team like Sal and Atana, um, should realistically even be on the, on the pitch with a team like Inter at the moment. Um, you know, I, I'm actually in favor of the 18 team league. I, I have been, um, but I mean, man, when you see teams like Sal and Atana, um, running around, you know, it's this. This is a match that, if you took it off the schedule completely, I I certainly wouldn't miss. I mean, it was a great watch as an Inter fan because I love to watch Inter play well, but it was a terrible watch as a football fan. That is the most one-sided match I have seen this entire year in any league, and I and I watch a decent amount of football in, in all these leagues. I have not seen um, a match as one-sided as this um, anywhere in in Europe. So. 
you know, it is something that um, I think, you know, hopefully Serie A can address one day. Obviously, they they voted to stay at 20 teams instead of 18 teams because, hey, if you ask Salernitana if you, <laughs> what they're going to vote <laughs> or if you ask anybody who's middle of the table, um, they immediately think about, hey, what if I have a bad year and all of a sudden I have a, a worse chance of relegation? So I don't know when that's going to happen, if ever, but um, this was certainly, you know, one of those matches where you start to realize just the gulf in quality. I mean, these guys signed Jerome Boateng off the couch and the guy didn't last 20 minutes. I mean, it's not a it's, it's not a good uh, look for the league overall, but, you know, it kind of just is what it is. Um, but, yeah, it, Inter to be fair, has dominated a lot of teams this year and will continue to dominate a lot of teams this year. But, I mean, when you saw the stats from this game at the end of it, it was it, it was really a, a tough watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can argue that, okay, if the bottom, uh, like the last place team plays poorly against the first place team, okay, that that's usually what happens. But Salernitana has like, two wins in the whole season so they don't belong to Serie A at all uh, it's just a wrong place for them yeah I mean so, you look at the stats they didn't have a shot on goal all game and it, we talked about this a lot last podcast I won't revisit entirely but just there's a lack of quality at the bottom of the table that is evident when they play good teams and no one would have missed anything if this fixture wasn't on the calendar yeah uh what one interesting stat uh i saw that we had 18 corners and like we talked maybe in the uh, previous episode but the lack of threat from the corners that i don't remember did we have any any proper connection two from the corners in this match two two there was one very early one which best ah yeah that one yeah and then... Uh, yeah, there was the Turam uh, chance. After Ochoa, that, yeah. and then Turam somehow missed the sitter. And then um, uh, yeah. in the second half, Tefry kind of hit it kind of centrally and Ochoa had to save it. But yeah, I agree. We kept connect, we kept winning the headers too, but they were just like, you know, softly kind of sailing over the net. So yeah, not yeah good I, enough, I thought the same. So. Exactly. I thought the same. I was like watching corner after corner after corner going, we're never going to score for these. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, actually it was, it was 3-0 after the first half. So it was like... That's over right. already by then. It was nice to see Dumfries getting the goal, goal since he hasn't been playing. Kind of boost that playing market value. Much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have a man of the match for this one? I honestly, despite his miss, Barella's a good call, but I have to go with Lotaro just because the goal scoring pace he's on is ridiculous. He. I think he's at 20 goals now in the league. There's a realistic chance he gets to 30 if we keep playing him at the rate we're playing him. Like, I just can't say enough about this ridiculous season. So I'm curious if you guys agree with that or if you have a different man of the match. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, interesting to see that, um, at least in the Twitter, Inter announced that Dumfries was the man of the match. I don't know, is it by the fans who voted or or who votes it. But I'm not sure if Dumfries was the best. Maybe Augusto. Well, maybe Barella. But it was so one-sided that I, I don't know. It's it's hard to call one one who's above the others. I would give it to Carlos Augusto personally. 
I thought that he had a really good match down the left flank. I thought that he was overall better than Dumfries in this match. And um, to be honest, this was one of those matches where everyone was just so um, on the level. Um, it was a really good team performance. It's really hard to just pick out one individual player, um, just to be honest, because they, they, we weren't stressed very much. Um, but I, I would give it to, to Carlos Augusto. Um, he did, you know, set us up for the eventual breakthrough, which, you know, is the hardest thing to get in these tough matches where the team will sit deep um, and invite pressure. It's all about getting that first goal. And he really laid it on the platter for Taram. Um, so I, I would probably give it to him out of anybody. You know, Lautaro, I thought, um, also had a good game, took his goal well. Um, I wouldn't have started him in this match, you know, to go back to the lineup stuff really quickly. You know, I was okay with us starting most of the starters. I think that that's the right mentality that Inzaghi wanted to send to the team of, hey, let's not overlook this match, um, especially because we do have an extra day rest on Atletico and they're not traveling. So, or excuse me, we, we're not traveling. So um, I, I was okay with that, but um, I probably would have rested Salernitana man personally, um, even though this is one of his favorite targets, because to me, he's just looked a little bit tired recently, understandably so, because we just can't rest any of our forwards ever. <laughs> so it's just, that's just, that's just how it is. Our starting forwards have to basically be available all the time. But, um, but yeah, no, uh, good match overall from, from everybody, really. Yeah, and to, and to add on to that importance of getting the breakthrough, I was going to say, I don't have a man of the match, but I have two... Um, people that I wanted to highlight for a moment. One is Tehran. Um, I think it's actually really... Look, I don't want to start throwing wild accusations, as per usual, um, but I think <laughs> maybe we... Look, the longer you go without scoring, the more nervy it gets, you know. Um, although we've been excellent this season, we've been historically uh, known for some mental kind of fragility or at best, mental uh, ups and downs. And so for Taram to get that first goal, I think really opened the floodgates for everything else. I'm not saying Lataro wouldn't have scored first or anything like that, but um, Taram uh, stepped up, buried that goal, and then that made everything much easier. Um, but to, to, to step up in the first place in itself is not always easy. And I really, really like the way he finished that goal. You know, um, part to what we were spoke uh, to what we were speaking about regarding Barella, Turam didn't swipe at it. Instead, he just opened his foot up and just you know stabbed it with his foot open and side-footed it into the net. It was just an, an excellent finish. Uh, another, it was reminiscent of an of another great finish from another player, uh, another great player. Um, I'm of course speaking about Rafael Leal. Um, who scored a very, very similar goal uh, in Milan's victory. I think, was it in the Champions League or something? I can't remember. Anyway, um, similar goal where basically uh, someone cut it in from the left. The ball was running across Liao and he just did exactly the same thing that Taram did, opened his foot up, uh, hit a nice downward kind of stabbing motion with his foot open. Uh, and then it just side foots beautifully into the net. And Krip Miners had another pretty much identical finish just from the, uh, from the right flank this time uh, and it sailed into the top corner. So if you, but it takes a lot of confidence to finish like that as well, you know? And so for these guys to finish with that, uh, or for Taram to finish in such a style uh, so competently 
is um, really encouraging to me. It shows that the guy has confidence and he has the technical ability to execute that as well. The other guy I wanted to highlight is Buchanan. Um, I found it kind of hilarious that the Instagram account was, you know, highlighting his step over and then falling over in the box, which was like a pretty weak <laughs> penalty shout at best, but whatever. Um, it was his one highlight of the game, I guess. Um, but what I liked about Buchanan or the Buchanan sub as a whole was that he played on the left. That indicates a level of flexibility in the player, but also in the coach. And I didn't really see that happening. I thought that Buchanan was just going to be the the nailed on fourth choice right wing back, you know, behind Dumfries, behind Damien, probably behind a fit Quadrado as well. Uh, and that's and you know, and that he'd be kind of resigned to his fate in the way that Bisek is doomed to be like a second choice, or maybe even third choice right centre back because you know Inzaghi refuses to consider him on the left. But Buchanan uh, played on the left, so that in itself is probably very, very, that in itself probably doubles his potential minutes for the next, you know, six months or so, because um, if he's a viable option in two positions, by default, he's going to be uh, more of an option for the coach. And I really like, for once, we have something resembling like a modern kind of winger, very, very slightly, in that he can get the ball on the left, face the defender and try to cut inwards towards goal. You know, that's how not to not to talk about Liao again, but you know what I mean. That's how one of these modern inverted wingers work. You know, they cut He's to the byline. <laughs> Mbappe, you know, no, whatever. Um, yeah, my point. Yeah, the, the modern wingers are very often inverted. Like Farad Scalia is inverted. You know, uh, Vinicius, whatever. And obviously, Buchanan is not even fit to shine these guys' shoes so far. But we have a young, fast, and somewhat skillful flank player who can play on the left and then kind of cut inwards to the right and, you know, curl in a ball or maybe go for a shot. That that asset in itself, even if the quality itself is not amazing, I think that's a really important asset to have. So I was, it was such a small thing, but I was really, really uh, pleased to see, like I said, both the player and the coach having the ability to uh, provide an option on the left flank. Uh, to run Lavatar starting, it was, I, I was all... Oh, I was also a bit skeptical. Should they start? Should we just rest them? But but on the other hand, it was good to have them both starting and then getting the goals also. So they keep the like the confidence. Confidence levels are up just for the Atletico match, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I like the Turam the finishing ability as well. That that was a very very nicely done goal. The Augusto. Uh, cut, cut back pass and then Thuram finishing with one 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 touch. That was that was cool, cool cool one. Uh, as for Buchanan, that that was a great point about him being at the left. And when we look at the numbers, uh, like counter players who can play where where they can play, so it kind of fits better if he can play on the left as well because because. We have Bastoni, Augusto, and DiMarco who play on the left. And then we kind of have nobody else apart from Acherpi, but he's he should be mainly for the for the <laughs> middle center back role. So that kind of plays plays in the situation that 
if we can use Buchanan instead of DiMarco and then uh, Augusto can stunt Bastoni time to time that like that works better for us because we have the right flank covered already so I liked he <laughs> liked as well that he, he came in and and he already showed this this uh, skill and, and speed he has so yeah was pleased to see him that right flank is really crowded right now, especially because I think BSEC kind of surprised us all. Um, and obviously, you know, you have Darmian over there, Pavard over there. All those guys really want to be playing right center back. Um, was And you had Dumfries and, you know, you know, Juan Cuadrado does still exist. As far as I know, he's still an interplayer. We, we didn't cancel his contract. You know, he'd probably be back for the last weeks of the season if he's back at all. But that right flank um, is a little bit busy. So, yeah, if he can play on the left – it's probably better for us in the interim. However, long-term, I think I'd much prefer to see him play it on the right side. Um, I, I think that having an inverted winger is very different from having an inverted wing back. Um, to me, I don't know that he looked entirely comfortable on that left side. I mean, this is his first appearance, so I'm not sure that he would have looked entirely comfortable on the right side either. But, um, you know, I thought it was a decent cameo. Um, you know, he's obviously, as mentioned, a very pacey player. Um, there was one ball over the top from Barella that I just wish he could have taken into stride. He had kind of a poor first touch there. Um, not going to crucify him for that. Obviously, it's one of his first touches in an inter jersey. Um, so you hope that he'll get better. Um, another couple of touches where, you know, he, he just passed the ball backwards and, um, you know, one where he kind of got muscled off the ball. You know, he's going to be a project player for us. I think that there's obviously a ton of potential there. There's a reason why the club identified him over a year ago as a player that they wanted to potentially bring into the club. I think Auxilio was in love with him, likes him as a player. Um, so I think that long-term, Inzaghi hopefully has a plan for him. Um, I was surprised to see him play him on the left because Inzaghi almost never plays players out of position. He's almost, um, you know, inflexible to a fault at times. Um, so I'll be interested to see if he lets him swap flanks or if once he starts playing on the right, he only plays on the right or, you know, if we only place him on the left for the rest of this of this season. Um, and I'll also be interested to see how much playing time he actually ends up with before the end of the season, because I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we know it's it's probably not going to be too much. I, I see him getting essentially Aslani minutes or maybe, you know, BSEC minutes or maybe even less than that for the rest of the season. But either way, I'm happy he's here. Um, I think that he can potentially be a dangerous player for us. Um, you know, whether that's from the start or off the bench, we'll have to see. But uh, it is nice to have some genuine pace in the team because God knows we need it. So it was nice winning yesterday, but I think the real story of the day was Juve drawing 2-2 in Verona. They were down twice in the game. Both times they answered with a goal. They, as the likely put it in the after post-game, they were able to salvage an important point on the road, which they have been able to do previously. <laughs> so they've lost, or they've dropped points in four consecutive games, one, one against Inter, of course, but also against the likes of Udinese, Empoli, and Verona. They are in a complete free fall. And if... Jay's favorite team wins tonight. Milan will actually jump seconds in the table. 
So, Miko, put a put a fork in Juventus for me. Tell me it's all over. Yeah, I think it's all over. The I think the confidence in that team has like it has been destroyed completely. Uh, probably mostly by us us winning them and showing showing their place. Of course, they was it was it before our match the Empoli when they. When they lost points to Empoli, I don't remember. But uh, but but the, <laughs> the situation is that they they can't win anymore. They have like two points in the past four matches. Was it so? So it's it's like a totally terrible terrible record. Uh, they, they need desperately some kind of a win streak now, and I don't know is that gonna happen when looking at this schedule there's gonna be it's gonna be there there's gonna be napoli well <laughs> napoli is not great either but that's another story but there's gonna be atalanta genoa lazio fiorentina torino so it's not like super easy for them from now on so they really missed their chance to like keep up with the with the mm, like interspace there so I think regarding the second or third spot, the the match between uh, Juventus and Milan will be decisive at the end of April. I feel uh, unless they keep keep dropping points like like now, then it's it's over for them regarding the second spot. But that's that's like a that's just a detail, not not too decisive in a sense of anything. Are you third or or second? Doesn't matter too much. But I just, I think yeah, Allegri, is, Allegri is so brave, um, leading a small provincial club with the highest wage bill in the league to a Champions League place. Um, I think that you know, foregoing the Conference League as any true martyr would, um, <laughs> I, I, I just have to to give it up to them um, for for the bravery that they showed this year, as you know, the true the 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 sheriff chasing after us robbers at the top of the league. Um, no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, I, I think the wheels have finally come off for for Allegri and Juventus here. Um, as Andrew mentioned, they were down twice in this game, and it's particularly that second goal that they let up. They wouldn't let that goal up, you know, three weeks ago. Um, that showed to me that their heads have officially dropped, and they were lucky to get that second goal, by the way. Um, Hellas gave up the ball in a really bad situation where they really didn't need to. Um, and kind of led to um, an easy goal for Rabio, But, um, yeah, I, I think that at this point, this realistically is inter-Scadetto to lose. Um, we finally kind of have that gap in the table that I think our play has really demanded. Um, but we just, it just seemed like Juventus just wouldn't go away for whatever reason. Um, and, look, I'm not going to say that it's over. Um, crazier things have happened, certainly, um, especially with Paza Inter. Um, but we have to be honest with ourselves. If we don't win this Scudetto, it would be a massive collapse. Um, it would be a collapse of uh, of epic proportion in terms of, you know, even looking at Inzaghi as, you know, is, is, is this guy the right guy for us? Or, you know, is there something wrong mentally with this team? Because, we are by far the best team in this league. Um, we've beaten all of our direct competition. Uh, and I would say we, we beat them fairly comfortably as well. 
um, for us to drop more points than any of these teams um, that are left in the competition with us during this run-in, I, I have a hard time seeing it. Barring, you know, shock injuries to key players, there, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to really win this Scudetto with, with double digits. And, you know, now I'm at the point where I'm thinking, okay, especially with Juventus having dropped points again yesterday, you know, we, we really can start to think about resting players at strategic times during the league. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that you, you know, um, you start coasting in the league and, you know, you're not going to rotate against Atalanta, for example. But I think that we can start to put an eye on the Champions League now um, and start to think that, hey, if we can get past the tricky Atletico tie, there's not too many teams left in that competition that I'm really that worried about either. Um, we're kind of in a weird spot right now in, in European football, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that, so I won't go too deep into that right now. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that this is, this is pretty much um, wrapped up as long as we do what we need to do in this run in here and, and don't take our eye off the ball. Jay, I'll give you a chance to vouch for Milan coming and getting it, catching us from behind if you'd like the opportunity. <laughs> um, <laughs> just only thing I have to say to what Sterling mentioned was, you know, about rest or rotating strategically. I mean, what more or when is there a more strategic time than when you're playing at home against the 20th team in the league? You know, it's like, it's like, outright the easiest paper uh, sorry easiest game of the season on paper um and if you don't rotate then then the, you know then when we don't have any easier games than that until the end of the season literally so that being said i don't i don't disagree in principle we do need to kind of be uh clever about where we rotate and my only concern is just uh unexpected injuries to key players did you guys see this is actually milan's and I'm sure Jay's already well aware of this fact, but this is uh, Milan's third best start to a season in the three-point era. So they actually are having a pretty good season. It's just that um, Inter has just been so good this this season. I mean, um, minus the obvious slip-up against Sassuolo, which, you know, that happens every year, um, and that draw against Bologna. Really, I mean, we we have been pretty much flawless this season. Um, so it's not even that other teams are necessarily playing poorly, um, you know, to, to, to piggyback off what Jay was saying. Milan actually has been in really good form recently. Um, so they probably will end up leapfrogging Juventus. And, you know, I, I would love that again, mentally for where Juventus is going to sit because now they don't really need to be thinking about looking up at us. They need to think about battling for a second place with, with Milan. Um, but, you know, this Milan team, if you actually watch the matches, uh, they they still let up a lot of goals, uh, number one. But number two, they still have a really tough time controlling games. Um, they're still very chaotic. I think that they have talent, obviously. You know, Liao is a fantastic player. Um, Hernandez uh, is a fantastic player. Pulisic, I think, is an underrated good piece for them. And actually, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been fantastic for them. Um, that's probably been their biggest surprise of the season. So, you know, when they're all fully fit, I mean, they, they are a good side. But, you know, even the last match against Napoli, a Napoli team that's been dreadful, by the way, and just dropped points again yesterday. They had to score in the 90th minute against Genoa at home. So, 
you know, but against Napoli, that should have been a draw. Um, you know, the Napoli had some big chances at the end of that match, and I was wondering how they didn't score. Um, so, you know, Milan's squeaking by, but uh, you had to think that, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing them putting the results together, the string of results that would be necessary to to make up 10 points on us, and they still have to play us as well. Um, so, yeah, I again, I think that uh, enters to lose. Yeah, that, that was an excellent point. I was about to mention that while we can say that Juve had a great start of the season or first half of the season, but it was like they were there barely, and now it like dropped off the, the form. Just they couldn't keep it keep the thing together anymore, and now they are dropping points all the time. But also Milan, like you said perfectly, that it's it's pretty chaotic how they play and. But I've been watching their matches. They are like, they they don't seem like a team who's gonna keep winning like they've been doing. What was it? Seven wins in the last nine matches, or what was it? Uh, anyway, I I can see can't see them doing that like uh, in the foreseeable future because, like you Sterling said, they keep leaking goals almost in every match and Napoli they they are in a in a terrible form and they they are like <laughs> they've been absolutely terrible with Mazzari and still somehow somehow Napoli was in my mind they they were better team in that match but they well I don't know how how they couldn't couldn't score a goal against Milan Milan wasn't good it was played in their home ground and I don't know. I just can't see see Milan being a real threat to this Inter in this season, especially as they 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 have these uh, European games as well. They have at least three games left now that they won Ren three 0 so they're gonna go to the next stage in European uh, Europe League. Uh, so. They're going to have these midweek, midweek matches as well. Let's dive into the Atletico match. First knockout Champions League game of the fixture of the season. Sorry. The Atletico took the complete opposite approach as we did yesterday. They benched all their good players. Griezmann sat for the entire 90 minutes. DePaul started on the bench. And they they had been in a little bit of a slump. They had dropped points in three matches in a row. I think one of them was a Copa game, but they dropped points in three consecutive matches. But they had a resounding 5-0 win yesterday. I turned on the match for a little bit, but it was honestly a bit of a snooze when you had Atletico. They were were already up a couple goals at that point. They were doing their whole sit-deep thing, and they just weren't playing much. They were scoring on the counter. But curious how you guys feel about this one from a confidence level standpoint on one hand we're playing the best football in europe you could argue and there's no reason not to be confident i mean we're just playing so well but i thought sterling you had a really good point offline which is we haven't knocked a good team out of the champions league since 2011 probably like in one of these head-to-head knockout rounds it was you know against Bayern last year we went through 
a comparably easier path forward when you have some, you know, Portuguese teams in Milan who no one's really afraid of. This is really our first crack in a while to knock out a team who's widely considered like European elites of the past 10, 15 years. So, you know, obviously we all respect Simeone to some extent as a manager. So it's, it's tough balance between being optimistic about we're playing so well and just a little scared knowing, wow, the last time we were in this position was 15 years ago. So how do you guys feel? The only thing I'm concerned about with Atletico is, look, I'll, I'll start by saying I think we played them off the pitch in terms of football. Um, I've long derided Simeone and I don't like it because, I mean, there's obviously the former interconnection there and uh, kind of by default, um, look, when I don't have a dog in the race, you tend to kind of lean for the underdog, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so obviously the the underdog, at least in the La Liga kind of hierarchy is Atletico. Uh, everyone knows well, every Inter fan should by default hate Barcelona and Real were quite disliked before Barcelona kind of uh, made themselves uh, ingracious to us in our treble season encounters uh, and all that kind of and all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, like I kind of support Atletico. Well, that's a massive overstatement. I guess I prefer Atletico to those two, but I find it, I found it really hard to support Simeone when I'm watching him and he's playing, you know, he's got something like 400 million worth of talent in the attacking department alone. Uh, he had at one stage, Cunha, uh, Angel Correa, Griezmann, Jao Felix, Lemar, and I can't remember who else, maybe. Anyway, he had all these quite high-level players, and they were just playing just the most disgusting, just dog shit, like allegory terrorist football. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I, 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 can't, I can't sympathize with him any longer when he plays this badly. Uh, that's a long kind of prelude to saying I think we play them off the park, but... The one thing I'm afraid of is I think they're a lot meaner than us. And I think I can easily imagine their defenders, for example, kind of doing like a real nasty job on our forwards. We've seen how Bremer did a really good job of neutralizing Lautaro, for example, by just being really aggressive, kind of always in his back, stepping in, uh, you know, chasing him all up the pitch and stepping in quickly to any forward balls and disrupting that kind of hold up play and laying off uh, fast transition play that we really rely on. I can see their defenders doing that. Likewise, I can see the defenders honestly kind of winning a lot of attacking corners. You know, I think their best chance to score is some Griezmann trickery plus uh, set pieces. And, you know, I saw us kind of get dominated in the air by fucking drag us in from Genoa. You know what I mean? And uh, to add to us not being much of a attacking threat from set pieces, or at least our center backs, I think, that's part and parcel with them just not being the most aggressive type, you know? Um, someone like Samuel, Lucio, these guys were known for being aggressive, uh, even Skriniar to an extent, right? But Bastoni doesn't play dirty. He's quite soft. Pavard is also not the most rugged and physical defender. Acherby's wily, you know, he knows how to he knows how to dabble in the dark arts and he knows how to strategically foul and that kind of thing. But he's not like a Chiellini type brute either. No no defender we have is particularly, you know, or above average in that regard. 
uh, aggression and tenacity, I feel. Whereas I think that is like the bedrock of Atletico football. So that's the one thing that kind of gives me quite a bit of pause. I think they can just out-muscle, out-fight and kind of like, you know, I can see them getting Barella riled up as well. You know what I mean? Playing a little bit dirty, kind of pissing him off, getting him, uh, you know, getting him in a place where he might get himself yellow uh, carded, uh, that kind of thing. So I think they're, their wits, their gamesmanship, their tenacity, their aggression, their meanness is all probably a bit better than ours. Uh, uh, it's a question of whether we can just outplay that. And I don't have an answer right now, but I like to think at home at least we can get a result. But I have trouble envisioning us scoring more than a goal uh, or winning at a higher margin than 1-0. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good point about that like the dirtiness and the physicality because it feels uh, the matchup will be decided in the midfield and how our midfield is going to... Can we play in the midfield like we usually play? Can, can we outplay the opponent in the midfield? Or what is our approach? Because uh, we need to be pretty careful in this first match we need to win this match that's that's pretty pretty certain that we, we absolutely need to have at least uh one one goal win uh preferably more but we need to win this one because it's gonna be hell to try to win in this in the away match in two weeks or is it three weeks i don't know uh yeah i i don't know boogies uh boogies have set up uh us as a slight favorites but i think this is gonna be probably the well not this one but the away match will be the probably the hardest one in this season for us i feel like the sociedad matches especially the away match that that was a tough one Maybe the toughest one we've had so far this season. Uh, but th- this is like a probably a step up from that. So, yeah, really interesting to see what is our approach to this home match, big, uh, home match because, as I said, we absolutely need to score at least one goal, but uh, hopefully we're going to go for more. If we, if we manage to score score the leading goal, and and uh, I don't want to even imagine what's the situation if we concede in this match, uh, so that Atletico can 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 just defend, which they will probably do anyway. But like uh, emphasize on defending if we, if they go on lead. So let's let's hope we let's hope we have a some kind of plan to to try to win that midfield battle so that we can take uh, like use that fast transition play we, we usually have and and use our wings win, wings in those attacks and so on yeah to piggyback on what uh jay was saying earlier about us having a lot of nice guys at the back too we also have to remember that uh, we're probably going to be playing nice guy to uh, in the center of defense in this first leg here, because I believe Acherby is still out, uh, which is obviously a, a massive loss for us. 
Um, they don't have Morata, um, who has been one of their best players this year. Um, he's actually really been phenomenal. He's kind of turned that corner finally of, you know, being a guy who is famous for his, uh, his struggles in front of goal um, and missing some easy chances. You know, he was kind of like a, a forward version of Barella, right, where he does everything perfectly. He's like a great all-around player, but he just doesn't finish very consistently. Um, you know, he actually this season has uh, taken a big step forward in terms of that. So him not being there is um, definitely a massive plus for us. Um, if you would have asked me which teams I would have wanted to avoid in the round of 16, uh, the two teams that probably worried me the most, it would have been the two teams from Madrid. Um, Real Madrid, I think, obvious why they would be uh, frightening to play against, primarily because of their individual talent in the front line and how good they are on the dribble with their speed and transition. However, Atletico, um, really for the opposite reason, you know, I think that against them, we're going to be forced to make the game. So they're going to sit deep, especially in this first tie. Um, and we're going to have to really create chances against them, um, similar to the Juventus game. And we have shown that that's probably the best way of getting at us. Um, you know, this Inter does know how to play all different types of styles. We can break down a low block. Uh, we can sit deep and hit you on the counter. However, when you look back at that Juventus game, um, I think that they they had a pretty good chance um, with with Vlajevic uh, fairly early on in that match, where if he hits it first time, you know that could potentially be a goal, and then it's a it's a completely different game. You know we're we're gonna have to play against a team now that uh, can sit deep, similar to how Juventus uh, sat deep against us, but really has legitimate forward talent. I mean, uh, as was mentioned previously. They have some really good strikers. They spent a lot of money on attacking talent in the in the last years here, and um, you know when you have Griezmann and it's going to end up probably being Depay up there, um, those are two really good players um, who can who can certainly hurt you. Um, so it's it's going to be really difficult, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think they they won against they played Las Palmas yesterday, and I was hoping that was going to be a tough match for them, but. They ended up winning 5-0, I think, with 30% possession, <laughs> something like that. It was it was something ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I don't think they're going to certainly come to San Siro and do that. But, um, you know, I, I could easily see this being a match that honestly ends up in a 0-0 draw or, um, you know, maybe a, a small win to enter. But the onus is certainly on us. We need to attack them. We pretty much have to win this first leg. Um, it would be extremely difficult to go to the Wanda Metropolitano and expect to get a, a win there because uh, their home form this season has really been incredible. So um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a little nervy ahead of this one. You know, I think that this is one of the worst matchups for us um, out of the teams that are remaining in this competition. Cause again, if we can get through this round of 16 against Atletico, I, I really like our chances to, to go deep and potentially even to a, a final again, because I think we match up pretty well uh, uh, against almost any other team that's left in this competition. Yeah, I completely agree. If we, if we're able to overcome this obstacle, the only team I'm honestly super worried about is Madrid, but let's not. Arsenal. <laughs> no, I'm not worried about Arsenal in the Champions League. 
I respect uh, Arsenal. I wouldn't want to play them today. I mean, they're they're in really good form right now. <laughs> I, I just can't. I can't. It, I understand. There's the 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 Milan of the, of England. There's pro- <laughs> because they're lovable and everyone just is obsessed with yeah, the quality they're, they're, of the team. Exactly. Uh, the underdogs playing young, brave football, led by a handsome. Uh, tactical revolutionary like Arteta. Uh, it's just but intolerable. What, what it's just, has Milan? Sounds just, just like Stefano Pioli. Exactly. <laughs> Milan has nothing got to do with any of what you just said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let's. I will save the ar- Arsenal bashing for when we draw them in the next round, hopefully. So uh, the only other points I wanted to hit on is is our absolutely horrendous record against Spanish teams, which I like to bring up frequently in this podcast. We do not play well against Spanish sides. We do not get results against Spanish sides very often. Couldn't tell you. Well, actually, I can because it's 2010. The last time we successfully knocked a Spanish team out of one of these competitions head-to-head. Like, we just, we don't do Hetafe. well against them. We beat Hetafe in the uh, Europa League under Conte. But, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So I wanted to bring that up, and then seconds, Sterling mentioned it. I, I do think the Acherby injury is one. I, I'd much rather have him starting this type of game. Hopefully, he's back for the away fixture, if nothing else, because you know I think just having that kind of calming presence in a road words I can't believe I'm uttering, but having that calming presence in an away fixture will be critical for us because if we go in there with a one nil lead, we're going to have to do some defending. So we can do some predictions if you guys want, maybe Miko, if you want to start us off. I want to be optimistic as always. So I'm going to go with one zero win. We're going to find that goal some somewhere and, and go, go to the second, second uh, match with a, with a one goal lead. And um, I'm going to, Give it to Turam. He's on a good streak now, so he's going to continue that. I appreciate that we're on, about, we're on episode 30. We've probably predicted around 30 matches between all the episodes, and I'm pretty sure Miko has predicted us to drop points once. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we dropped once in that round. Was it so? <laughs> That's tr- that is true. That is true. Against, so. against Genoa. That's right. That's right. Of the 30 predictions, how many times have I predicted us to drop points? <laughs> <laughs> Probably about 50% of the time. Um, look, I won't. I will refrain from predicting a result. I will only predict that it's going to be a disgusting match. Uh, and my disdain for Atletico will only be, um, you know, only increase following that horrendous 90 minutes. Uh, I will say. Uh, kind of as I alluded to earlier, it really is just one of those, Im- you know, irresistible force. That's us playing against an immovable object, and these things only go one of two ways: either the force is too much for the object, or the object is, you know, stands up to the force. And I don't see like Atletico blowing us out of the water, for example. Um, God forbid. But yeah, I, I can't see any way this goes other than we just we're really frustrated by this stubborn. Uh, dirty, time-wasting, hard-tackling, riding up, shit-talking Atletico team, or we uh, manage to, you know, sneak a goal and and get, like, a narrow win. 
that's the only way I see this going. One of two ways. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It's going to be a ugly encounter, in my opinion. Going to be extremely tight. Um, think back to obviously the matches that we had with Sociedad in the group stage and the way that they kind of um, pressured us and really kind of suffocated us at, at times. I think we'll have probably a little bit more time on the ball against Atletico, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to create more chances. I uh, I like Miko's uh, prediction of a 1-0, but um, just not to copy him, I'm, I'm going to go for for a 2-0. I'm going to be wildly optimistic um, just because, you know, this Inter actually this year has really surprised me. Um, we, we've seemed a lot more mature, and it seems like every – big test that we've had thus far we've passed with flying colors so i'm going to say that that continues into the champions league against an extremely tough opponent and that um you know we we get a, a 2-0 because one thing you know i i must say about atletico you know because we have kind of waxed lyrical about how dangerous they can be but Defensively this year, if you look at their statistics, they're they're not really that great. They're not an elite defensive team like they were, you know, four or five years ago when they it seemed like they were always in the tail end of the Champions League and the only team that could actually beat them was Real Madrid. Um, they're not that team anymore. They are a different side. Um, they're they're kind of in a weird limbo where they're in the balance. They're kind of in the middle between being a defensive team and wanting to be an offensive team, but Simeone doesn't really know how to set up an offensive team. So, you know, um, they, they do have a little bit of an identity crisis, although probably a slight one. So I'm going to say uh, a two zero um, that we're going to get the job done at home. And then it's going to be uh, a very tough second leg, but, you know, hopefully Inter will pull it out. I'm torn on this one. Let's just think through it. So Inzaghi has a great, cup track record i don't know if you guys know this he once beat liverpool and infield but he has a good record in knockout cup matches and we're just playing so well on the other you've got this really stubborn atletico side who went undefeated through their group stage lazio did take a point from them when lazio was at home to them they managed to eke out a draw i don't know if i'm going to read too much into that but once again i just the, we're playing so well that I can't pick against us, but I just I can't see us scoring more than two goals in this game, and really that's probably the most optimistic scenario. So I'll, I'll go with a one 0 win and give me a goal from Mkhitaryan. They have a player named Rakilme. You know what happened the last time we played against Rakilme? <laughs> the highlight, highlight reels for the next twenty years is what happened. <laughs> uh... Every every now and again on Instagram, T, hashtag TBT, throwback Thursday. Remember when Raquel May did this against Inter? I'm like, yeah, I, I remember very fucking well. Thanks very much. Uh, someone in the lead up to the game against Salernitana, someone made a post about this is going to be Candreva against Inter this weekend. And it was just a Ronaldinho highlight tape of him making <laughs> dribbles on the Lazos. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Um, yeah, let's, yeah, let's wait and see. I, I'm, I am optimistic despite my prediction. I just, um, you know, I try to try to err on the, the rational side of things. And, um, Sterling made a really good point that this Atletico is kind of neither here nor there. It's not the defensive monster it used to be, uh, for sure. 
at the same time, I don't think they've lost that. I still think they have some of that kind of dog in them. You know, they still have that that identity of, um, you know, Simi- I think it was Simeone. What was it Conte? I can't remember. But I think Simeone said, like, effort is not optional for him and all these guys run like crazy. That's one thing that they have retained, like the, the work rate, the um, the the aggression, the fight is still all there. Uh, whether they've sorted themselves out tactically, because they're playing like three at the back these days, where they used to, whereas they used to play... 4-4-2. Um, yeah, 4-4-2 four, four, flat. But um, these days it looks like they're playing 3-5-2, sometimes even like 5-3-2. So, you know, um, I think... Just to add to that quickly, I think when you have two teams that play three at the back, in my experience, I think the one that plays better generally tends to win. I think there are some formations that kind of, I think there are some formations that are natural counters to, you know, one another. Generally, you'd say that like a a four three three is naturally quite strong against the three five two because you have wingers, you know, in behind the wing backs and all that kind of stuff, but. I think when you have two teams playing three five two, that one plays defensive, one plays more expansive. The expansive one, I think, has the odds uh, in their favor. So, yeah, look, um, I mean, I would love it if we just blew them out of the water and showed them how to, you know, play a modern, attractive three five two kind of uh, shape. But like I said, I just don't want to underestimate them because they can hurt us on the counter, and they they have that dog in them. So, I'm st- I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't know if I brought this up on the pod before. I don't think I have, but I always consider, remember our, it was the European Super Cup after the treble season. It was like the Champions League winner against the Europa League winner. And it was us yes. playing Atletico in Monaco. Yep. This is the unofficial kickoff of the banter era to me. Because I remember this was yeah. our first match with Rafa Benitez. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? So like, we- Triple hero Milito looked shaky all game and then missed a penalty. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember like, I, well. did Aguero score for Atletico? I I can't remember how exactly how the game winds, but I just remember watching this game. We did not put up a fight at all. We rolled out the exact same lineup as the treble winning team in the final i believe and it was just you knew you were in for a long season and it turned into a long decade <laughs> yeah i got scored yeah 83rd minute all right well let's so before we before we wrap up we're, we're not going to be recording before the next Serie A match against lecce so we do want to hit on this briefly we always talk about it's hard to preview a match after a match but just we can talk about this quickly. So Lecce are surprisingly okay. It's, this is a firmly mid-table team. They, I believe we beat them 2-0 earlier this season, if memory serves correct. We, I don't know. This is, so just terms of recent form for them. They've lost to Torino. They've lost to Bologna, but they did manage to beat Fiorentina earlier. They're definitely more dangerous at home than they are away. Let me see here. I don't know. It, I have not watched any Lecce games recently, to be completely honest with you all. Um, I don't know. Miko, have you watched any Lecce games recently? Uh, not that much. I remember the Fiorentina match when they won it in the end. But uh, I, th- I think, uh, well, typically for Inter, the matches after the midweek Euro, Euro matches have been a bit tougher ones. And uh, especially now that we have to travel, travel all the way to Lecce, 
to face Lecce. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's going to be not an easy one, a bit of a like a necessary routine match. A budgeted, draw, to... budgeted draw? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking how we're going to how we're gonna use the players because okay, it's Tuesday. The match against Atletico is on Tuesday, so, and this Lecce match is is on the evening, Sunday evening. So and then you have Atalanta on Wednesday following. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's gonna be, it's not gonna be. There's not gonna be a midweek without a match in in two weeks after after this. Like after now, it's well, it's we know. Be we Three midweek matches now. We know so, Arnautovic and Sanchez will start after DePaul breaks both Taram and Latara's ankles. Um, so, no, look, yeah, it, I guess so. <laughs> I think I think we'll there'll be a toll taken from Atletico. I think it'll be like we all have, all have kind of agreed on. I think it'll be a really tough match. Uh, so I can see. I mean, if there's a time to drop, Matt. Uh, sorry, if there's ever a time that teams drop points, it's after a difficult European encounter yeah so we've got to be extremely alert um the only thing i'll say is let's try to get away with some rotation because it's not optional against atalanta they're in extremely good form right now uh so obviously atalanta on wednesday is a more difficult game than lecce uh on sunday so even following the um excuse me even following the the champions league uh, match so it won't be an absolute disaster to draw at Lecce, to be completely honest, as much as I hate saying that. But I think um, I have this weird feeling Fratesi is going to play against Atletico. I have a feeling he's going to start for some reason. Um, start? I, uh, yeah. Th- that's my that's my hot take for the week. I think Fratesi will start against Atletico. Don't ask me why. Don't at me. Don't ask me for any evidence because I don't have any. It's just a gut feeling. But I reckon he's going to start. Um, and... If that's the case, then we can obviously play Barella against Lecce. Uh, I'll start Barella, I mean. So if we can sneak in some tiny bit of rotation here and there, then I wouldn't be against it, especially considering we have Atlanta straight after Lecce. So I just want to see the team come back in one piece against Atletico. Uh, and for us to put out a, you know, maybe like a kind of 60-40, maybe a 70-30 kind of team in terms of like starters to starters to back up ratio. Uh, and I think it should be enough for us to win. You know, I could imagine this going the same way as like the Empoli game where we won one nil, you know, just one of these kind of typical tough away games where you've got to really grind for a result. So maybe like Fiorentina as well. So I, I can see it going that way. So I'm going to jump the gun here and say we win two one uh, with goals coming from Buchanan. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Come on now. With, with actually, you know what? Fuck it. I, I won't predict scorers. That'll be ridiculous. But I, I, I can see this going that way. Just a tough. It, it just, it's like textbook. You go to a tough away ground. Let's say, uh, I always say this, but let's say are one of the most supported teams outside of the top six. You know, in terms of average attendance. So it's a difficult ground to go to. We have dropped points there. I think even in Conte season. So yeah, yeah, we um, draw them exactly. So. Two. So it's not an easy ground. Hometown match for Conte too. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Just, look, just say what you're not brave enough to say. Sanchez brace. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, like I said, it's a textbook hostile away game at a small team. 
after a difficult European match. That's the definition of a trap game. But I think we'll overcome it, and that's why I'm saying 2-1. Yeah, I agree with Jay spot on there. Um, that's exactly that last sentence that you had there was exactly what I was going to say in terms of going on the road after um, a Champions League match against a team that is in the bottom half of the table. Um, I, I don't know what the pitch looks like in Lecce, uh, but I feel like this is when we always pull up to something that looks like swamp grass. Um, and the ball is rolling extremely slow, and it's like the pitch feels very tight, and um, it's just one of those things where all of a sudden it seems like we can't play football on that pitch for some reason, but they pro- they play perfect football and turn into you know prime Barcelona with small triangles, and um, they're just you know pulling us out of position. But that was the old Inter. Um, I don't think that that's going to be the case um, this time. We you know we've been so good on the road this year. Um, I do think that we'll find a way through this match. Uh, I think it's probably going to be a tight one. Uh, Corto Musa, you know, uh, I think that we'll end up getting a one zero victory here is going to be my, my prediction. Lecce um, hasn't been terrible this year. They have 24 points uh, with 25 matches played. Um, They're in 13th place right now. Uh, I'd say that they're probably, I want to say that they're safe from from relegation, most likely here. Um, The 18th place team has 20 points, so they're they're only about four points ahead. Um, And then there's a pretty big gap between them and Genoa, who are in 12th at uh, with 30 points. So they are they are actually closer to the drop than they are to the team that's ahead of them in in standings. Um, So, you know, it is a team that we should be taking care of. I would think that we will see some rotation in this match. Um, I, unlike Jay, do not think that Fertese is going to start against Atletico. That would be ridiculous. I, I see no way that Inzaghi decides to rest either Barella or Mkhitaryan in, um, in that match, especially not Mkhitaryan. He he won't rest him ever. So um, I think that we will probably see uh, Fratesi come into the Let's Say match. And I would expect that we may even start Arnautovic. Uh, the question would be, uh, who it's going to be for. Is it going to be Lautaro or Taram? And then um, maybe we'll see Augusto uh, maybe come into this as well. And, and hopefully a Turby will, will be back and, and fit so we can give him some minutes. And then, yeah, we have a really tough match uh, against Atalanta. It'll be at home, which is great, but um, they have been flying um, and they won their match yesterday against Sassuolo 3-0, but it seems like they're just dropping big numbers on everybody right now. And all of a sudden, um, Charles de Quetelare is the world-class player that Milan thought that they signed. Um, I don't know if that's just that crazy Atlanta juice that they give the players over there or if he really is coming into his own. But, um, you know, either way, um, all of a sudden, you know, they look like a real, real threat. So it's actually funny because before Juventus just decided to go on a slide and start dropping points, I, I was hesitant to say that, you know, Inter kind of had this in the bag and until we beat Lecce and Atalanta. That's when I was going to be willing to basically say it's ours to lose. Now with Juventus sliding, um, obviously it gives us a little bit more room for error, but I would still say that um, we need to take care of a, a team like Lecce. And then if we can do that uh, after hopefully getting a good result uh, against Atletico, then, you know, the Atalanta game at that point, you know, if even if we drop points there, um, you know, the, the goal is at, in that game just not to lose. You know, a draw would be perfectly fine there um, in terms of calculation. So, so yeah, um, 
all that to say, I think that we will uh, find a way to get the victory uh, on the road against Lecce, and I'm I'm going to go with a one zero. Uh, one interesting detail, by the way, Atalanta is playing against Milan right before they play against us in the midweek match. So it's going to be next weekend when they play. So they'll rest all our starters for Milan and play their <laughs> A-team against us? Yes, yes. No, actually they need to win Milan and then we then we we hand them the three points because we can afford it and they they try to catch Milan in the standings. <laughs> um, I'm up for that. But yeah, um, I think my prediction, I'm going to go with... Uh, we we win by two goals, two zero win. I'm gonna stay positive that we're gonna we're gonna grind these tough away results like we've been doing this season so well. So yeah, two zero win. I'm gonna take a zero zero draw. This just feels like a scheduled point drop, and as good as I think we are, we're not going to be perfect for the rest of the season. So this just feels like a scheduled opportunity to lose some points. Hopefully we do rotate a bit. I'd like to see Arnautovic and Sanchez maybe even start, keep the team fresh. I'm much more worried about the Atalanta game. So to, honestly, I'd be pretty, just the way that things are going on the table right now, I'd honestly be pretty content with a point against Lecce, provided we on re- recover from that and beat Atalanta. Also, I just want to end this podcast by saying that Bologna managed to turn it around and came back from one nut down to beat Lazio. So, Tiago Mata. Xerxes goal. Xerxes goal to, for the winner as well. And Fabian assist for the equalizer. Pretty, oh, pretty love it. And he had, and a, he had a, getting a great striker. So, he would have been subbed off by Nzagi probably around the 30th minute. So, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, wouldn't have made it back after the halftime break. So, yeah, yeah. Bologna are now tied with Atalanta on the table for the fourth Champions League spots. Atalanta have a game in hands. But, man, full credit to Tiago Mata. Uh, hey, I do have a, a quick question. Maybe we can we can end on this. Um, and Miko and I were kind of having this discussion uh, on the forum. But, you know, all of a sudden, I think ESPN FC is talking about Inter Moore, um, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were talking about Inter and their chances to potentially uh, win a Champions League. So it, it does seem like all of a sudden we are starting to uh, pique some interest amongst neutrals and um you know, even maybe casuals. Um, so uh, my question to you guys is, do you guys think that the the opinions of of casual fans or neutrals, do do they matter ultimately to you um, or I guess ultimately to the club? I do. I mean, it, within a, yeah, I do. So you need to build up a following in Europe. You need, you need to have people want to put their eyeballs on you if you want to build up the brand and, so much of the sport right now isn't about necessarily results as it is about a style of play and marketing ability and superstars. And look, we're, we're a club in horrendous financial shape. We're pretty much guaranteed to have a net loss every season. And the way to dig out of this hole is twofold. One is to get a stadium, which I think we'll all agree is nowhere close to happening. But the other one is to get people want to watch our matches, get people want to watch the league. And we play a really attractive style. And I think if we can turn a few people onto that and get people watching our games, it would go a long way towards the league getting a bigger television deal. And if we have a bigger television deal and we have more money, then 
hey, maybe the Zhang family won't have to liquidate the club. But in all seriousness, like, yeah, it matters to an extent to what people, what the external view of the club is. You, you need to have this positive perception. And we, and we deserve a positive perception, to be quite honest. We're running away with this league title. We're playing entertaining football. We're playing attacking football. When you look around Europe, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more impressive season than the season we are in the midst of. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good call. But even to Sterling's point earlier, Bayern is probably the, well, I guess we can say the same thing about Juventus, but this is, you know, the least impressive version of Bayern in a while. But still, my point remains, we've been just simply dominant and we deserve Champions League attention. And we deserve to be a team mentioned as a Champions League favorite. When I see a team like... Arsenal or PSG favored over us. I just, I can't wrap my head around that. The only rationalization I would have for something like that is they have an easier Champions League draw than us because we have what is probably the toughest or one of the toughest round of 16 matches among the favorites. But beyond that, I mean, I can't tell you a good reason why we're not going to go far in this tournament. It is impossible to, to defeat the the colossus that is the Anglosphere. Uh, the fact that Arsenal despite having won fucking jack shit for the last 20 years, is like the second most valuable squad in the world uh, in terms of like transfer market value is an absolute disgrace. Uh, but that's the way the market works, you know? And we can sit here and be tough guys about, I don't care what the casuals think, but that's a very uh, stoicism kind of isolatory way of thinking, very insular way of thinking. And football is not an insular business. Football is global, uh, business is global, and we need more fans, more eyes, more money from every corner of the world if we're to end this horrendous cycle of having to sell a player for $50 million every year like clockwork and try to replace them with some 35-year-old and just hope that they defy the odds and play out of their skin. Our luck has already turned this season, and that's evidenced by Quadrado. Sanchez and Anatovic, all expensive failures, uh, and they're kind of reverting to the mean. They're doing the reverse, a Cherby Mkhitaryan kind of thing. Um, so I don't think we can just rely on on some Marotta, Limone magic forever. Having said that, regrettably, I don't think it's enough. I don't. I don't think us going far in the Champions League is really enough to you know to start bringing in money that actually makes a difference. I think that happens at like a institutional level, and. Not to end on a on a downer, aka the J signature, but I don't trust the institution to really provide that for us either. You know, everyone knows that FIGC and Lega Serie A are just managed by the most backwards, corrupt dinosaurs imaginable. You know, uh, they will routinely reject some nine hundred million deal only to settle for some shit like eight hundred and twenty million dollar deal. You know what I mean? Um, and and then there's all the bureaucracy around stadiums in Italy. It's just, it just, it's hard to analyze that with an objective kind of frame point, and then, and then, not come to the conclusion that it's borderline insurmountable. I have trouble seeing, and even Juventus, like for all their marketability and everything, um, they've been bailed out more times than you can count by by Exor. Um, infuriatingly Milan have locked upon some financial luck uh so with you know with some 
bullshit angel investors kind of like absorbing absorbing their debt. Uh, but again, that's an exception. Uh, so yeah, like I said, not to be a downer, but it's really hard to just see us making tons of money that actually makes a real difference uh, to our financial standing uh, purely because we happen to, you know, go to the quarterfinals or semifinals of the Champions League, you know, for the next few years. Like, I, I don't think it makes that much difference. Maybe we'll reduce our losses by about $40 million, uh every season until we finally get to a point where our losses are only, quote-unquote, you know, $50 million a year or something, in which case it becomes kind of like operable. Then then there's a question about debt. So, yeah, hard, hard, to, hard to really be optimistic on that front, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think that's probably realistic there. Um, you know, it's hard to be the best kept secret and also have great revenue. I think that, you know, when it comes down to, you know, the casual fans and whether or not they they do play a role um, in your overall success, I, I have to say that they, they definitely do. Um, you know, realistically, I don't think that we're going to catch up with a Chelsea or an Arsenal uh, or a Manchester United or one of these clubs that has a really big uh, following behind them, you know, either internationally or, you know, here in the States, especially the EPL is just so, so dominant, but, you know, it took them 30 years of good marketing to get to where they are. Um, Trying to catch up to that is going to be really, really difficult. Um, Even with a couple of good champions league runs. um, I would say that that's probably the, the fastest way for us to become relevant um, is on the pitch success in a competition where it's hard to deny how good Inter is um, because that, that's the reality of it is that Serie A is just not respected um, by by the by the casual fan, right? So we can go over here and we can we could win Serie A by twenty points with a goal difference of a hundred, and in reality, a lot of people will just say, "Well, yeah, but that's a farmers league." Um, whether that's true or not, I think we all know that it's it's not true, but. Um, you know, in, in the casual fans' mind, that's that is the case, right? So, um, you know, but doing it in the Champions League, I think, does uh, make a make a tremendous difference in terms of how we are viewed. And you know, if you do it consistently over a long enough period, then yeah, I think that is a way for you to potentially um, you know raise the level of the club because realistically, you know, that's the only thing that's really the only difference in marketability between us and in Milan is that, uh, you know, Milan has more Champions Leagues, so more people know about them because, you know, they had some teams that, you know, it's been almost 20 years now, but they had some really dominant teams 20 years ago um, that were really fun for people to watch. And so, you know, to this day, they still have some some casuals that have kind of stuck with them. I think, you know, for a team like us right now, um, you know, when you see what that Champions League final run did for us last year, not just in terms of, you know, casual fans and things of that nature, but also in terms of the money that comes from the competition, you know, it, it basically allowed us to keep a lot of our big pieces. We didn't have to go sell a, you know, a Lukaku or a Hakimi type of piece last year. Um, and I'm I'm assuming that's primarily because of that Champions League run and the, and the money that came with it. Um, so obviously that's a, you know, that's a, that's a huge factor for us as well. But, you know, getting it back to the casual fans, you know, again, I, I don't think that we'll, ever be a Real Madrid uh, type of a draw or a Barcelona type of draw, but who knows, maybe we can become the hipster team um, the same way that Dortmund kind of became for a lot of people when they had a clock there and they made their champions league runs just because of the cool football that they play. And, you know, um, there's always those fans who don't want to root for 
the absolute biggest club. They want kind of a, you know, offshoot hipsters team. And, you know, maybe we could become that for a lot of uh, fans if we continue to play really good football. But I'm curious to hear your take, Miko, because you you were kind of the one on the forum that was saying that you, you know, you didn't think the casual fans mattered as much. Yeah, yeah. Long conversation, but yeah, let's let's go back to the <laughs> original question. Yes, in the long term, they, they matter and you you all kind of argumented for that and I, I agree but that was more for the long term because of the branding and so on so I'm not gonna touch, touch on that uh, uh, m- like more but uh, my take is more that I would want to see us focusing always uh, on the Scudetto race like never neglect that and always like uh, do it for the fans and I, I would say I wouldn't I wouldn't say real fans, but the fans, the, like the local fans in Italy, because they, in the end, they, at least they, they will appreciate always the Scudetto or, or over anything else. And we can kind of see that when the stadiums are, are like filled in the Champions League matches, they are not sold out, but in the Serie in the league matches, they are always sold out against Salernitana, against Frosinone, and so on, or almost sold out. It's always over seventy. Is it seventy-three thousand this season? The average. Well, Champions League matches are also midweek. You have to factor that in. Well, yeah, okay, that that that's a good point. I think that's what Miko is saying is that the Italian fans are more appreciative than the Australian Inter fans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but but my point is that. Uh, in my mind, we should always focus on the on the league. And Champions League is important, especially for the for the marketing point of view. view but also uh, for that kind of a uh, you know prestige and showing you are a big club, so you need to be uh, part of the best clubs in the in the continent. So of course it matters, and, and players players appreciate it as well. So. Uh, of course, it's important, uh, but in the end, when it comes to any kind of decisions the club is uh, making, it's the coach who he he's doing the he's doing the decisions who's gonna play, how we gonna where are we gonna put our focus? Like we've seen this season, we we haven't put the full focus on the Champions League because of the we we focus purely on the Scudetto race. We we had this ridiculous starting lineup against Benfica and we need more sponsorship that's that's the <laughs> biggest thing we can't continue to sign these dog shit deals from like Nike like eight years at like 20 million or some garbage Paramount is like what at the end of the day it's 25 million or something like Milan is getting 30 million per year base guaranteed and then like 60 million base guaranteed or something like that something ridiculous yeah but that, that's uh that's, this that's is irrelevant to... that that that's this irrelevant, is irrelevant. Is... we need to turn that we need to turn the success in Europe into into dollar signs. And I don't think we've done a great deal of doing that now. And unfortunately, it's going to be hard to do that, even if we make it to the Champions League final for the next five years because we're locked into these fucking eight-year contracts with Nike. Like, yeah, where's but the money the, coming from that, other than just competition that, money? That's the least reliable way of making money is competition money. The way you got to make money is guaranteed contracts with reliable companies and not and the fucking Shinta coin or Socius or whatever digital shit. You we, know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we don't need all that money. We don't need all that money. We, we've done 
We need how many we, we, we need? Eight hundred in debt. We're in eight hundred in debt. We made a look where we are. Yeah. Look where we are now, and we have like sold players left and right like three seasons in a row. And look where we are. We were in a Champions League final. We are going to the, our second star now, and and I'm I'm not worried that we need to maximize our our profits as soon as possible. You're not I don't worried Zhang is going to lose possession of the club or refinance the club at such an astronomical rate that we're forced to well, tear this thing uh, down to the stilts? Uh, I, 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 have a, I have no idea what's going to happen with the ownership, but it's uh, it's not something we can like um, speculate too much because we don't have we don't have enough visibility to in my mind we don't have enough visibility to speculate any numbers regarding how much it's going to cost to the club regarding who's going to own it next season or or after this season sure but more money is better than less money when you of course, are of in course, this of dire course. financial situation yeah but th- this this started from the from the argument that uh, at least in my mind, it was the argument that how much we should, we should, uh, we should try to get the casual fans to like us or something well, like we, well, that. Look, we took Fo- attention. Focus on, we focus took on the Champions League. Any kind of, you know, attention. I mean, you don't. Okay, everyone wants more eyes, more customers, more revenue. That's just like, you know, of course, the of most course. obvious thing uh, for anyone. But. Uh, again, yeah, we took a tangent, but all I'm saying here is footballing-wise, we've done excellently with the resources we have. Uh, let's try and turn that into more concrete revenue uh, because I just don't believe that competition revenue and player selling is really sustainable uh, in the long run. Um, you know, play, teams like, you know, the English teams are not really sent their funding their you know, uh, f- funding their their future foundations based on player sales and and you know and guaranteed success in the Champions League. You know what I mean? They it's everything is built up on sponsorship and ticket sales and revenue and these kind of more reliable revenue streams as opposed to flaky sponsorships and hoping we go to the Champions League final so we get a hundred million instead of twenty million or something like that. Uh, you know, and, and that being the difference between keeping or selling a key player and then replacing him with a guy who is going to be arguably low cost or, you know, uh, someone who may or may not work out. Like I said, um, I love these guys like Achebe and Damian and Mkhitaryan. They've performed out of their skins, but we've seen, like I said, this season, we don't, they're not, we're not always going to get those wins. Like Sanchez is a flop and Adovic is a flop. Quadrado is a colossal flop. What happens if Taremi is a flop next season? You know, maybe he will do a Mkhitaryan and play at an excellent level into his 30s, maybe he won't. Uh, but it's the gamble you have to take with these 30-plus-year-old free agents and why are we limited to these 30-plus-year-old free agents? Because of the financial situation. And the way to address the financial situation, like I said, is to have reliable revenue streams. And the way we do that is to convert the attention that we get from better performance, especially in Europe, to more uh, just having more bargaining power at the negotiation table when it comes to these sponsors Uh, but again just to round up my point at least i fear that it's just not enough in the scope of the italian economy 
in the Italian football economy uh, when, like I said, the institutions are just so, they just, they make it, the the wealth generating uh, mechanisms or the engines of the Italian football are just dog shit. That's what I come down to. No matter how hard we do, we're always going to be against, sorry, no matter how hard we try, no matter how well we do, we're always going to be against those colossal uh, forces, you know, Mayor Salah playing bullshit hardball with the stadium, um, you know, the, the the government reversing the growth decree and all this kind of stuff. It all it's all just against us. Yeah, I have a really tough time um, hearing, you know, that we that we don't need money because of the way that we've performed in in recent years. Uh, that's really tough for me to reconcile. I mean especially when this club is so highly leveraged that it's, you know, essentially owned by a bank. I mean, um, we had to sell the best right wing back in the world a couple of years ago because we needed money. We had to sell our star striker a couple of years ago because we needed money. We couldn't sign Cancelo to a long-term contract, um, even though we we had Champions League football. I, You know, th- this team and and – as Jay mentioned, also Syria as a whole um, financially is is in the hole and and needs really any type of um, financial support that it it can get at this point. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with with Jay's point. I, I think that um, while we do have these eyeballs and while we are performing well, um, we need to try and capitalize on it the best that we can because. We have to be honest, guys. We've been extremely lucky to be as successful as we are. And, you know, part of it's luck and obviously part of it's skill. I mean, we have one of the best management teams, I think, anywhere in, in world football. Um, Marata and, and Auxilio have done a fantastic job, especially with these veteran signings. It's really only the most recent veteran signings that have actually failed. Um, before that, you know, credit to Inzaghi as well. But, you know, we've done really well and we've had a really fantastic streak of essentially not having any flop signings. It's really just this year that we're starting to have some of these older guys start to flop for us. Um, But the thing is, what money gives you is it gives you a runway to where, you know, you don't have to, your your margin of error increases because you don't have to be right every single time. Right now, we have to be right almost every single time. Um, Whereas, realistically, some of these other clubs, um, they don't. You know, they can sign a kid who's, you know, 22 years old for, you know, 50 million euro. And, you know, if he doesn't work out in two years, they take the hit and they move on. We we just can't do that. Every single player that we have to that we sign essentially has to be a, a hit for us. And, and that's the reason why, you know, to this day, we're still all mad about eight to 10 million euros, I think, with bonuses that we spent on on our Notovich. I mean, do you think that these fans of other clubs um, that are in good financial positions are worried about 8 million euros? They probably spent that on the youth team player. I mean, but for us, we were like, oh, man, those 8 million euros. Oh, man, we're, we're never going to get those back. Um, and it's because of the, the financial situation that that our, our club is in. So, um, so yeah, no, that's, that's just something I wanted to touch on today. I know that we were running a little bit long. Um and it's probably about 1 a.m. for for Jay <laughs> right now. But um, but it, this is an interesting conversation and something I think we should, you know, maybe continue to discuss in, in the future. Um, but, yeah, we need money. We need money for sure. Yeah, I, I want to quickly touch on that. Uh, of course, it was the exaggeration that 
exaggeration that we don't need money. Of course, we need money, but uh, my point was we don't need all that money so desperately uh, that we need to like maximize all the profits from uh, from the Champions League, so that we we put the max focus on that and neglect the neglect the, like the scudetto. That that was basically my point from the beginning that uh we should never forget the scudetto and just uh just concentrate on making the maximum amount of profits from any competition we have uh agreed like like the upcoming club world cup it's gonna be in 2025 summer i don't want to see us neglecting the scudetto race just to save anything for that tournament and i'm well i'm positive we're gonna we do not gonna do that and the coach won't give up f about that tournament that that that's my feeling at the moment but uh but yeah that that was the point so i don't see us (laughs) disagreeing too much here but just that the Full focus should be always on the on the scudetto in my in my books. But yeah, maybe we can wrap this up. All right. Yes, we've run very long, but just what happens? We get to catch up with Sterling for the first time in a while. So thanks again, Sterling, for hopping on. Appreciate the help. Absolutely. Thanks. Anytime, guys. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week, hopefully after a couple wins over at Letico and Lecce. Goodbye. All right. Thanks, bye. Yeah.